actually it was a dream of mine but all my friends said ah oh, it's impossible to get a job this is one of those jobs everybody wants to have and um and you've got to speak a lot of languages and and that uh, you have to have a, a huge general uh, knowledge and so forth now of course i did speak um, several languages but i didn't have the courage i must admit Welcome to a new episode of Most Memorable Journeys. I have another wonderful guest today. She and I used to work for the same company. We both worked for Quoni, which is Switzerland's biggest tour operator. That's how we met. We our ways used to cross. I don't remember when I saw her the last time, but surely we met somewhere in the world. When I was in Switzerland recently, I saw or heard that she has written a book. I thought she's a storyteller and I loved having storytellers on my podcast. And so I got in touch and I want to welcome you Roswitha Gassmann. Welcome to my podcast. Thank you Elizabeth and you know what I don't remember either where and when we met for the first nor the last time it could have been anywhere and this is the beauty of our lives you know i was doing an episode the other day and i was writing at the end somehow i i said and this trip was a very expensive trip and i got paid for it we got paid to do the most beautiful things didn't we that was exactly what i loved about it not just being paid but getting to do all this exciting stuff That's true. But then um uh, a lot of people I remember um when uh, we used to have all these education um lessons for this job and um and I remember when I uh, was in one of those courses um at the end of the 70s uh, we were some 20 people and I suppose about half of them thought it was a job where you were always vacationing mm-hmm. and I swear to god after one or two years only half of them were still with the company because on the one hand yes we've seen the entire world and we stayed for a time at very nice hotels and so forth but very often it was also hard work and a lot of responsibility So I think that is massively underestimated. Absolutely. We started very very early in the morning. We were the first ones at the reception, the first ones at the bus, and we were the last ones who went to sleep. And also in the old days there wasn't any internet we couldn't reconfirm uh, stuff on the bus i used to make phone calls from my hotel room until late in the night i know i remember that and that's of course um the big subject in the book that was um uh, published some pretty much a month ago yeah pretty much a month ago we published my book which is um in english translated the title is um how i crossed all the borders and uh, the undertitle is conducting tours before the internet mm-hmm. era and sometimes i don't know how we did it we were in so many difficult situations i don't know how we did it tell me how did you start did you always want to become a tour guide what was the beginning 
actually, it was a dream of mine, but all my friends said, ah, oh, it's impossible to get a job. This is one of those jobs everybody wants to have and um, you've got to speak a lot of languages and, and uh, you have to have a, a huge general uh, knowledge and so forth. Now, of course, I did speak um, several languages, but I didn't have the courage, I must admit. I didn't have the courage to uh, to try and get the job as a tour um, guide. But then um, I was in Asia with Kuwani and um, uh, and we toured through Malaysia and Thailand and and we had a tour conductor and when he heard that you you remember that we always had um, bilingual groups, German and French. And at one point, I even conducted five language tours. For about two years, we did um, tours around the world. And and Kuwani was international. They had um, agencies in Italy, in uh, England, and in and France, besides Switzerland and, and Spain. in Austria. Kuwani, Madrid. And Spain. And um, and so several times I um I I went around the world, um, and I have five languages. No, four, four. Um, I didn't have Spanish. Um, so anyway, um, on this tour where I was as a private um uh, client, this tour conductor heard me uh, switch languages um uh, without any problems. And at the end of the tour, he said, "Hey, we need." people like you urgently, why don't you come and work with us? And I thought, that's just my dream. Why Why wouldn't I? And then I wrote a letter to Kwani and they immediately invited me. And then just imagine, that was in the late 70s. And then the uh, person responsible for the uh, for hiring tour conductors, he said to me, well, you know, uh, we really want women um we'd rather have man because we think um uh, they're they're better they do this job better than women but we urgently need people who speak spanish and i had just done a diploma in spanish and he said yeah you can come and work with us um you can work with our argentinians i said okay so i'll be back in um in spring and then I was just about to leave um, the office and he called me back and he said, you know, looking at you, speaking to you, I think you could um, this job without um, having to follow um, our um, our information course, which we hold every spring. Can you uh, accompany a tour in a week? And I said, <laughs> what? <laughs> I didn't have an idea. So um, he sent me on a Swiss Alpine tour with um, with Dot. Dot was um, a Swiss um, a Dutch person, and I followed him around and I wrote down everything he did and said and so forth. And then a week later, I uh, I did my my company my first tour. That's and how it started. Now. And then I thought, hey, this is cool. I'm going to do this for a year or two. And after two years, I thought, oh, so many more countries to visit. I think I'll stay for another three years. And after five years, 
I thought, my God, this is so fascinating. I think I'll stay. Then when I went towards the 40s, all of a sudden I thought, my God, I've got to think about my old age and, you know, how the situation um, was financially. And of course, not only the financial situation, but also the fact that your private life is sort of... Um, Non-existent. Yes. Exactly. And then I started to look for another job. And you know what happened? I did not open my letterbox anymore. I was so afraid that someone would offer me a job. And I really fell into a depression. And then I realized that it was too early to stop. And, um, and I threw out all the letters that I had received without answering them. And, um, and I, I continued. And in the end, um, I had worked for Kuwani for almost 20 years. And then they dismissed us. They said, um, group traveling has no future. We cannot. Um, engage you anymore and not give you any more work I would never in my life have given in notice myself I, I just loved it but then it turned out um, really cool because um, then this situation started that we still have with the security checks on on airports and, um, and also I must admit mass traveling before the uh, pandemic um, and and it became less and less interesting I must say as as sad as I was when they dismissed us um, as good it was for me. yeah I guess the decision was taken away from you I mean it is a very very addictive job because you know, there is always more. There is so much to see. The world offers so much. There are so many beautiful places. And then you meet somebody who has been to another place where you haven't been. So you think, oh my God, I think I want to go there too. Let's see if we have anything. And this is, it just goes on and on and on. Do you have a favorite place or do you have a favorite area of the world? Not really. You know, you know what one of our colleagues said to me many years ago, he said, you know, every single corner in the world where tourists go to is beautiful. And I never forgot that. And I think he's right. I loved to go to the U.S. I was 45 times in Egypt. Um, I, I went to Australia, to uh, almost all of South America, uh, South Africa, Africa. I, I haven't seen every single country in this world, of course, Um but I really like every country I've been to. The only countries I don't like to go to is where they don't <laughs> well. 45 <laughs> times to Egypt. Yes, 45 times. And each time they sent me there again, I thought, oh no, not again. And the minute I stepped out of the plane and I smelled the air, the air, this dry air in Egypt, this dry, hot air, smelling of sand and camels, yeah. I was happy. I think Egypt is a fascinating country and many people just go to Cairo and don't like it. And they don't realize how beautiful 
the Nile is, how beautiful Luxor is, Aswan, Abu Simbel, all these places. I, I didn't do so many tours. I only went three or four times, but I absolutely love Egypt. I do. And it's it's only an hour's flight from here in Cyprus. Yes, yes. I don't know. Just imagine, of course, it is not the same today. My first trips to Egypt were, and there were only two luxury boats on the Nile. Two. And maybe two or three um, very antique, um, old um, boats. And that was absolutely magic. And of course, you know that these days they have hundreds of boats. And, And of course, the magic has some somewhat yeah. gone. Well, the magic has gone in many places, and and we were talking before we start before That's we true. started the interview. We were talking about flying. I mean, these low cost carriers really have changed the way we travel. I remember in the old days we used to dress well to to travel. Absolutely. Because I wasn't only an accompanying tour guide, I was also a rep. I was repping at the holiday destinations. And I remember when sometimes when the flights were overbooked and we had to find people to put them in business class, we were looking for the people who were the best dressed and the ones with the best shoes. You know, I was always well dressed because I like it. And at one point, Kwani did not allow us to um, to wear blue jeans. But all our clients wore blue jeans, and I always had very nice blue jeans, ironed and so forth. But I always wore very nice blouses with it. And, um, and then one day I was in, um, I don't remember which city in, in the U.S., maybe Chicago or something, and they were overbooked. And then they called me and they looked at me and they said, next time you put on a suit and then we'll bring <laughs> you up. Ah, I never forgot. And from that moment on, I was always well-dressed when I needed to fly someplace. And I very often... Yes, we got a lot of upgrades. US Air, I remember. Sometimes I used to go and say, oh my God, you know, I have such a terrible tour group. I need a little bit of distance. Can you put me in business class? And they did always. So yeah, um, talking about the US again, did you do a lot of tours in the US? Not really. Um, I did a lot of uh, national parks. And uh, during one summer, I was there for almost the entire season. Going back and forth, back to to New York and then start from there again. Yeah, that's where we both know our friend Carmen Flaminio from, who was uh, running the office in in New York. Yeah, those were good days. How about clients? Do you have any client memories? What were your best and your worst clients? With my best clients, I'm still very close friends. With them, I had an absolutely awful experience um, in South America. And we are very close. Um, We we both love opera, so (laughs) it was easy. And my worst client, that's difficult to say. Sometimes friends would ask me, oh, do you have, do you often have uh, difficult clients? And I said, not really, um, because most people who go on tour, um, they're looking forward to it and they're excited. And um, But every once in a while, you have difficult clients. And I hate to tell you, but... 
very often it's it's women who are difficult. And I must say that I very often had the impression that mm-hmm. they were jealous. Yeah, that, that is true. Yeah. Jealous. I remember one lady in the United States and she was with her mother. She had been abandoned or left by her husband for a younger woman. And she was so difficult. She um, she complained about every single room she had received on a three-week tour. I had quickly understood. And from then on, I, I called the hotel, as we always did, ahead of the time. And I, I told them, please give this lady a nice room, uh, n- not next to the elevator, um, and not um, not too uh, on too lower floor, and what else? Many things, and and she was still not not happy. And then in the end, you remember we used to have money to invite them um, for for a dinner, for a farewell mm-hmm. dinner. And I organized a very beautiful a farewell dinner in uh, San Francisco at a very nice place with um, American champagne and the best wine I knew and so forth. I, I really spent every single dollar I had for a nice um, uh, dinner. And then she she raised um, from her uh, chair and, and she said how badly I, in front of the whole group, how badly I had treated her and um, and how all the couples had better rooms and better business, better that. And I was heartbroken. I hadn't done as much for anyone as for this woman. And there she um, she almost screamed at me. And then one of the clients got up and said to her, you're absolutely ridiculous. We are finishing this dinner now. And I must say, I'm still hurt. And this was some 25, 30 years ago. And I'm still hurt. It's, it was just so unjustified. Isn't that amazing? She was ungrateful. But you know that the problem were, you were not the problem. She was the problem because she was a frustrated person. I know, of course. Um, but um, I was Yeah, I her. understand. But uh, you see, this is the thing, especially those people where you really made an effort and when you you went out of your way to help them and you realized that they didn't appreciate anything and you still did it. And that is sad. And I understand you. But um, that's just how people are, you know. And then there are other people who you think, you know, like sometimes we got a message in advance that they're going to be VIPs. So you were a little bit more cautious, you know, thinking, oh, my God, I'm going to have to get my act together. And and then they were the easiest people. I know. Yeah, the most undemanding people were usually the ones that you expected to be uh, difficult. That is so true. Yeah. So, I mean, 9-11 has a big, had a big impact on traveling. Well, um, that's when all those um, security checks Mm -hmm. started. And it just became a little bit more of a hassle. Uh, to travel, I haven't been much around the world since since I finished um, uh, working for Kuwani. I have been to Asia two or three times, and to Africa, and that's it. And and other than that, I'm doing what I haven't been able to do during all those years with Kuwani. 
I am. Um, I go to Salts to the festival mm-hmm. in Salzburg. I go to Bayreuth. Um, I go to Lucerne to see all these operas and concerts and so forth. And and I love that just as much. And and of course, then there is something else to say. Um, I ha- I have always been very much interested in art and culture and music. And I mean, there is no richer area, culturally speaking, than Europe. Central Europe, right. yes. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it's absolutely, one life yeah. is not yeah. yeah, And you do enjoy that. You, you love the opera, you love art. Did you always yeah. love that or did this develop over the years? No, no, I am... Um, <laughs> Maybe it's um, exaggerated when I say that I grew up with it. But in a in a in a way, it's true. My my elder brother he studied acting and singing and dancing, and I was his I was his audience. <laughs> That's sweet. <laughs> <laughs> and my brothers um, played the piano. I had lessons as a child. Um, yeah, no, I grew up with classical music and um, opera was always something, opera, singing, uh, leader and so forth. I okay, always That's loved. wonderful. And and I see, I, I follow you on social media and I see that you do a lot of that and it shows you're enjoying this. You love this. And uh, you were saying before, you don't like going to countries where the food isn't so good. What is your favorite food? <laughs> oh, that's difficult to say, actually. I love Indian food. I love uh, Thai food, uh, Japanese food. Um, Actually, everything that is well-seasoned. Nothing boring, nothing bland. Exactly. And you are, I mean, we are doing this interview between two of your trips. You are still working a little bit. Yes. What do you do? Tell me about what you do. So after Kuwani dismissed us, I had to find a new job. And I was very lucky. Um, I got a job at the Swiss uh, German TV and I worked in the press department, which I liked very much, which um, actually after um, after Kuwani dismissed us, um, I was asked, what would you like to do most? And I said, if it is not traveling, it would be writing. And um, and now, of course, there wasn't a lot of writing um, as was TV, but there was a lot of reading. And they did send me to the uh, to the Mats, the Median Ausbildungszentrum in Luzern, and and I was allowed to follow a few courses. And then um, and and I really enjoyed that. And funny funny thing is, um, in the evening. I did tours in the TV studios with... Oh, uh, wow. Once a guide, always a guide, right? uh, Yes. Clients, yes. And I very much enjoyed that too. And then when I retired, I thought, oh, I wouldn't mind um, um, escorting one or two uh, groups a year. That would be neat. But I, I did not follow it up. And then one day I met a common tour escort for Pony on the flea market. And she said, oh, so we, oh, we need them. Um, we need tour escorts very urgently. Don't you want to come back and, and work as a tour guide? And I said, wow, you're my angel. <laughs> and that was ooh, in 2014. 
And ever since I've been working for this poor company who does mainly tours all over Europe. And um, and that's really okay, nice. but it's also tiring. Um, it is it is hard work. And um, but I have uh, come to know a few corners of Europe that I hadn't known before, and I really have a great time. I don't know how long, how much longer I will do that um, because it's. It can be. Yeah, I can imagine. And it's so it's a, it's a lot of responsibility. And I think the client, the tourist has changed. The internet has changed everything, hasn't it? Probably, yes. But um, I must say that these people that I am uh, escorting, they're all, when I am... Um, When I greet them in the morning of the first day, everybody is beaming with joy and and grateful. Right. Yeah, because they I'm I'm not sure. I'm not sure whether it has changed much. Um, what has changed is is the work for us because we have We have mobile phones, we have um, Wi-Fi. Um, uh, if we have a problem, it can be solved much faster than it used to. Oh, my to. God, yes. That, to me, is the yeah. best difference. I remember I once, uh, I worked in the Maldives as a rep, and the, the rep who was there before me, she, she um, the boat, the Dorney broke down to go to the airport, She had an airport transfer and, and it just stopped. And she actually swam back to the island to inform them because the walkie-talkie wasn't working. Things were, that's what we did. When the bus broke down or when the Dorney broke down, we had to take action. I mean, now you just pick up a phone. Somebody has a phone that works. I mean, these things have changed a lot. But then on the other hand, clients didn't have access to the Internet. So, you know, they, they, they were more even more appreciative of what we told them. Exactly. You have to read my book. I wrote about situations exactly like that um, where today... I could have ordered help immediately and we just had to help ourselves. We had to become innovative. We had to inve invent something to solve the problem and also to calm down the people because that's another thing. We were used, we were seasoned travelers, but the people who were traveling with us, they traveled with us because they were not seasoned travelers. Otherwise, they would have gone on their own. So it was also a matter of keeping everybody calm. Yes, that wasn't always um, uh, easy. Um, there is one story in my book where um, I recount that I had a lawyer in my group and we were in an extremely difficult situation. And he said to me, look, if some, if we're getting harmed, I'm going to bring you to court. <laughs> and, and I was really shocked because um, – And the situation was difficult and I wasn't happy about it, my God. And I didn't know how we were about to get out of the situation. But then at the end of the tour, he told me that he had chosen to travel with us, with Kuoni, because the the son of his best friend and the friend of, of the friend had disappeared on that lag between um, Cusco oh, and wow. Puno in the Andes. Yeah. 
they were God. never found. I mean, those are those are other stories. I mean, there is a lot of stuff. One thing that I always found when I was traveling with people, when I was doing these tours, people trusted us. They told us their worries because we were we were a sort of a neutral person. We didn't know their environment and they could unload on us. People have entrusted me with their deepest secrets sometimes and their worries. Yes. I, I don't know whether those... Um whether that confidence was always justified. <laughs> because at times we were, I mean, at the end of our oh, wits. Yes. But we still went on because we had to. We didn't have any choice. We were on our own. So, Rosvita, what's next? Do you have any dreams? Is there any place that you haven't been to that you would like to go to? What's on your mind when when it comes to dreaming or places in the world? Not really, no. I've seen so many beautiful countries and so many, I've experienced so many cultures. Um, I haven't been to Bhutan and I wish I had been to Bhutan, but... Yeah, oh well. Yes, and also everybody tells me how wonderful um, Namibia is. Haven't been to Namibia, and I don't think I want to go there. Just, you know what, about three or four years ago, I went to Oman with a friend, and um, we stayed at an absolutely beautiful resort. And my friend wanted to go to the desert. Absolutely, she wanted to go there. And I thought, ah, I've seen mm-hmm. the desert so many times. Desert, desert. And, uh, but there are people who, who disagree with me. But, but to me, desert is desert. And we went to the desert and, and to a soup and so forth. And I found it so <laughs> boring. I have just come back from Jordan. I was in Jordan last weekend. And uh, I went to Wadi Rum. I, I don't know if you've ever been there. I mean, that's another desert. It's a very beautiful desert, though. I really, really had a good time. And I love the desert in the night because you never see as many stars because it's so dark. It is amazing. But you, you're right. It's a desert. It's dry land. You know, it's sand. So, um, yeah, debatable. Not everybody would agree with us, but you are right. No, if I if I want to go someplace, it's um, I want to discover northern um, yeah. Germany, the eastern part of Germany, northeastern part, um, which I have in part been to. But I want to um, I want to visit it more in detail, and what I want to see is art museums, yeah. um, art yeah. and music. Mm-hmm. Yes, I I agree with you. And I think you are doing that very well. And you have created a good life for yourself. It's kind of a, isn't it a nice feeling to be able to say, I'm having a a good life. It's it's been a good ride. I bet you. Absolutely. I've been very lucky. I've been very lucky in my entire life. I'm very grateful for that. Well, let's hope that you get to do Many, many more visits to Salzburg and to the Lucerne uh, music. What do you call Festspiele? Tell us just about your book, just uh, uh, quickly. Where can, where can people find it? We're going to put the link in the show notes. They can they can buy it actually um, in any uh, bookshop. 
might have to order it, but, um, but usually they have it within two days, or they can buy it online at Aurel Fiesli, um, any bookshop. Right. I think we're coming towards the end. Any last words, any advice for people who are um, not sure if they should go somewhere or not? Just do it? No, no, no. I think more than ever, it is important that people really know where they're going, that they prepare themselves well. I find that many people go places um, without knowing what they're getting into. For example, I had one client, that was many years ago, I admit. I had one client um, on a tour uh, to... um, to Egypt, and, and he wasn't interested in temples, no anything. And I said, so then why did you book this tour? And he said, it's because that was the only one that still had space. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. And he was bored to hell. And I felt so sorry for him because he had spent a lot of money um, for something that um, he yeah. didn't enjoy. And I think I think it would be the only advice I would give people is that they get into politics and also the situation, um, the, the security situation, which is not um, obvious these days. I mean, if you want to go to Libya. No, I don't, I don't think know. so. Not right now. And that is very true also with all these cheap flights that that are available. People just, they just go and they have no idea where they are going. They, they don't know how to behave because that's another important factor. It's culture and respecting other people's culture. That is true. So um, I think we're done. I think this was a very, very... L- and yeah, I want to say one last word because you 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 speak about respecting the culture. You know, that was something that um, that I was really unhappy about in Egypt. My groups in my you know what kind of clientele we had. Um, uh, they were usually um, very respectful, but um, there were other groups around, and and the women showed absolutely no respect towards um, at this Muslim country, and they uh, walked around yeah. half naked. At the beginning of the 80s, I spoke to the director of one of those Hilton boats, luxury boats on the Nile, and I said, look, uh, you ought to do something. You ought to let tourists know that they're not to walk around with bare legs. And and, and I saw ladies who went to visit the temples. In yeah, the that, that is. And, and- and I said, you must do something about it. It's going to harm your um, this tourism destination. And I said, and he said, we are afraid that they they mm. wouldn't come anymore if we that they have to get dressed properly. And I said, I'm sure you're going to regret this. And one year later, they had the first attack of um, Orthodox Muslims. Um, who uh, who attacked them? Um, group of tourists 
who tried to enter mosque. Yeah, no, I totally agree with you. And I never understood why people don't get informed. I mean, generally, it's not just in, in Muslim countries. You know, it's it's going into a church. It's a, it's a matter of respect and it doesn't take much, you know. And if it's hot, you can even carry something that you can put around you. It's no big deal if you right. want to. But um, some people just don't think enough. Right. Right, Roswitha Gassmann, it has been an absolute pleasure talking to you. You're going on a tour on on, uh, on Tuesday, you said. Have a wonderful yes. time. You're going to Italy. Yeah. You enjoy going yes. to Italy, I would imagine. Everybody does. I think one of the most beautiful countries in the world is Italy. You agree? Right, right. And so yes, rich everything. And food. All right. Thank you so much. Thank you for being on Most Memorable Journeys. And uh, I hope to be able to speak to you again soon. Okay. Same. Same to you. If you enjoy my podcast, please like, share and subscribe to my channel. You will find all the information in the show notes.